0: Is good, everybody. Welcome to the Emmett Smith edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. This is episode twenty-two. Don't make that face at me, Levin. It's episode twenty-two.
1: Why wasn't last episode the Frank
0: Gore? You know what? It should have been. That is a terrible job out of me. That that's it. Now the tradition is established. I will find somebody to go along with the number of every episode, and I will dedicate them all to Frank Gore.
1: Next week is Willis McGahee.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go twenty-one, you got to go Gore or Dion, right?
1: Well, next one would be 23,
0: right? Yes, that does follow 22. So, what are we talking? Gore, then, yeah, that would be ideal. He said he's open to playing again. Maybe the Niners will sneak him in. You know, we all know the 49ers are going to need a fourth running back next year, so what the hell?
1: <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really fit the system, uh, but yeah.
0: Play forever, Frank. Never change. Uh, We remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. There's been a bit of a flare-up among Niners Twitter and Niners podcasters this week. We're going to get into that in this episode. We're going to get into uh, Wade Phillips' tweet I thought was interesting because I think maybe he's sort of sending up the signal flare that he wants to be back in the NFL So we'll get into that. We'll get into a nice week for John Lynch, who has become one of the finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So we'll talk about that. And uh, Kyle Shanahan said something this week that Levin and I have been specifically criticizing him in the 49ers for. He sort of addressed it. So we're going to play that for you as well. But uh, I can't help but notice, Levin, that the Cleveland Browns are going to go into a playoff game and they are not going to have their head coach in Kevin Stefanski. He's not going to be able to coach in that game because he has COVID-19. And I just relate it back to the Niners and think, what would Kyle Shanahan be doing if the Niners somehow fought and scratched and clawed their way into a playoff game this week and then he couldn't coach it?
1: Uh, I think you would see a like pile of, banana hand or something show up all of a sudden be like, Hey, this is the guy that's going to be coaching. He's wearing a fake mustache and beard. (laughs) Like Leon Sandcastle. (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, I don't think he would handle it. Well, I don't think the Niners would handle it. Well, when you have one guy that is so much in control of one side of the ball, I mean, this isn't just, he's the play caller. He's the architect. He's the head coach, the leader, I mean, he's everything, and Stefanski is that way for the Browns. I mean, he's the architect. He creates plays. He runs the offense. He is the mind of the offense in addition to being the head
0: coach. How about this quote from Stefanski? Alex Van Pelt's going to call plays, and Stefanski said, I put my finger on a chart and I read. It's not very hard. Alex can do that much better than I can. I wonder if Kyle would agree with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, he can say what he wants. He's certainly downplaying it. Put it that way. I mean, it, it's a tough situation. They're already going to be on the road for the playoffs against a division rival. I mean, it it is what it is. This is, I guess, I, I've seen, and I guess I can kind of somewhat agree with this. I saw somebody tweet out that the NFL's stance all year has been they will not delay a game for competitive reasons. They will only delay a game for safety reasons and if they haven't figured out who all are the close contacts who who all are the people that need to be quarantined due to a covid outbreak then they'll delay a game if it's just because well this team is screwed because so many people are out they don't care. And I guess yeah, I can kind of see that that's what they did. I mean, you know, they didn't delay the Niners game. It was contained. They were just screwed competitively.
0: Thanks NFL. It was just a fest 2020 was just a festival. Let me just say that. Um, but for the Niners, look, we're in the offseason mode now, and the biggest story every day it seems like another team pops up. They want to talk to Robert Sala, who's I think he's up to four interviews now that he's gonna to have to do. And the Niners are gonna to have to fill that defensive coordinator spot eventually. And I saw this tweet from Wade Phillips yesterday, and it caught my eye because Wade tweeted, if you're wondering, it can be done. Changed from a four-three to a three-four, and they listed a bunch of teams that have had both success and teams that didn't have success doing it, but his point stands basically that just because your team runs a 4-3 doesn't necessarily mean that he can't be your defensive coordinator next season, and I think that's Wade maybe sending a little flair to the Niners that he'd be open to coming there. What do you think?
1: Uh, I think you could be right that he's sending a, a signal, but that's a, I find that tweet a little bit misleading because it doesn't mean every single roster out there can make the change. Certain teams might be set up where they have like a somebody like a D Ford was playing as their DE. Well, he can be an outside linebacker in a 3-4 that pass rushes. That's not a big deal. The problem for the Niners, if you look at their defensive line, they don't have the personnel to do it. Because what are you going to do with Boza, Armstead, and Kinlaw? All three of those have to be DEs in that system. None of them are big enough to be a nose tackle in a 3-4. I mean, in a 3-4, Niner fans should remember from some of the people they had, your 3-4 nose tackle or defensive tackle is basically a big body that just sits there and can't be moved. Those aren't any of those three guys. So they got three guys that would be ideal for a defensive end in a 3-4. Well, only two of them can play and they've invested a ton of money and draft capital in those three guys. So you can't just be like, oh, well, They won't play as much or they'll do a rotation. You know, having one of them not being a starter is pointless. It just doesn't work, in my opinion.
0: So you're saying that you don't think Wade Phillips could come into San Francisco and develop a defense and and put together a really good defense? Like, I don't know. I just feel like he'd be able to figure it out. He's only been around the NFL for like 12 decades. If
1: he's coming in and demanding to be a 3-4, you're wasting one of your big name talents. And that doesn't make sense to me. I don't see the Niners as being interested in that. doesn't mean that he couldn't come in and do some good things. I mean, the linebackers, I would argue, are pretty well set up for it. They'd have to go find a pass rushing linebacker, basically. But Fred uh, Fred Warner, Greenlaw, Alshair, all those guys I think would do well as the three of the four linebackers. They just need the pass rushing one, which wouldn't be that difficult to go find somebody with speed who could pass rush off the edge. But it just doesn't make sense with the way this team has gone about roster construction for the defense on the defensive line. I just don't see the team, meaning Kyle Shanahan, being interested in doing that.
0: I kind of hope he is. I I feel like they would make it work. I know that Bosa has said he does not function as well as a stand-up linebacker like he wants to have his hand in the dirt I just I feel like Wade will figure it out and half the time you're in nickel anyway because it's so many teams go three wide I, I don't know look there's a lot of candidates out there and a lot of names are going to be floated but to me if Wade Phillips is interested he's the best of that bunch I mean the guy is a legend he's an absolute legend and I'd I'd think it'd be fascinating to go into a season with Kyle Shanahan calling the offense and Wade Phillips calling the defense that'd be a, that'd be pretty sweet to me
1: It would be fascinating, but there's also, I mean, he's 73, so it's a temporary thing. Does Kyle really want to be two years from now looking for a defensive coordinator again? Or does he want to do something like promote D'Amico Ryans, where D'Amico Ryans might eventually be a head coaching candidate, but probably be a minimum three, four years down the road. And considering his age and all that, probably a little bit more than that. So you're going to have continuity there. Plus, you got to keep the same system that everybody's been playing in because he's a Robert Sala understudy. So I I see it as this year there seems to be a ton of great defensive coordinators out there because there's a lot of defensive head coaches that got fired. So (laughs) the Niners are, I would think, the number one destination for a defensive coordinator position because you have a head coach that the rest of the league believes in. You have a great roster why wouldn't you go there where you seem to have a Super Bowl chance right off the bat instead of going with, say, a new head coach where you don't know for sure that the guy can handle it because it's, you know, Robert Sala might seem like a great head coach. Some guys get that head coaching position and fail at, like, game management, and that ends up getting them fired because they mess up timeouts and things like that. So it's less of a known thing. So I would think this year with so many great options out there from defensive coordinators, and guys that could promote up like D'Amico Ryans, why would you go with somebody who's coming out of retirement and probably
0: going to be two years at max? See, that's the beauty of it, though. If D'Amico Ryans isn't ready yet, which some people think, you know, it may be a little soon for him to become in charge of the whole defense, you bring Wade in, you give D'Amico a little more time to mature, you maybe expose him to a great defensive mind, Wade coaches the defense for a couple years, maybe one year, maybe two. And then, bam, D'Amico Ryans, he's your guy. It's built in right there. It all works out.
1: If D'Amico Ryans isn't becoming the 49ers defensive coordinator, he's following Robert Sala. Whether that means he's going to be the defensive coordinator for Sala or keep his same position, he's following Sala if he's not going to be the defensive coordinator here. And he might be the defensive coordinator for Sala. Who knows?
0: That's it. What do you do then if you're Ryan's? If if Kyle says, look, we want you to be our D coordinator or at least stay here. Like, we want you. We'll figure out the role. Or Salah says, hey, come with me to probably a lesser roster. Let's be honest. What do you think he does?
1: If he can be the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, I think he would stay. If it's not a defensive coordinator position that the Niners are saying, hey, we think you could be the coordinator in a few years. There's no point in staying like like I said, even if you're not going to be the defensive coordinator for Sala, that's a guy that you know you can trust and believes in you. He could have, there is a risk to staying in a new coordinator coming in and not thinking as highly of D'Amico Ryans and basically giving him less responsibilities or undermining him to a degree because that would be the guy in charge of the defense. Going with Sala, he knows he has a guy that believes in him that is going to give him you know, top-notch responsibilities, even if he's not the defensive coordinator.
0: That's fair. I, I understand. I can see what you're saying there. Um, the other thing you mentioned that I thought was interesting about how there's a lot of other head coaches, defensive head coaches who got fired who could be available. I, I think it would be beneficial to Kyle to have another guy on the staff in a key position that has head coaching experience. I I have talked about it before. I just feel like it never is a bad thing to have somebody on a on a staff or part of a group that will kind of be a check for you. Just a different way of thinking. Maybe someone to tell you you're being crazy. I, I think that could be a solid addition to the Niners staff. Not that they're going to overrule anything Kyle wants, of course, but I think there's value. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think there's value in having someone that can push back a little bit.
1: Yes, but there are also a I mean, that is there's a very fine balance there somebody that is respected enough that can push back, but isn't so respected that everybody sees him as, you know, a head coach type person. You know what I mean? He has to be on on the same page as you as, as far as team locker room mentality, all that stuff. Because if you bring in somebody that has a presence who a lot of people see as a true leader, head coach type, and he's not on the exact same page as you, you can get some division there going. And so I think that that's a very fine line and a risk. So you have to get somebody that you truly trust that will not be coming in and kind of throwing their weight around, so to speak.
0: That is a good point. And I think it helps that Kyle just got a new six-year deal or five-year deal, whatever it was. So that helps fight against that for some of it, for sure. But you're right there. We've seen it. I, mean, I can think of uh, the Cleveland Browns had a situation not too long ago where it was Hugh Jackson was there, and there was all sorts of infighting, and that was just a complete mess. So you're right. there There is a fine line between, you know, uh, constructive criticism, I guess, and sort of a schism in the locker room, which hopefully the 49ers can avoid. Another guy that's been in the news a lot this week in terms of possibly leaving the team is Adam Peters. His name has been brought up a couple of different places. He is hugely important to the 49ers. Uh, Akash Anavarathan tweeted that he heard that Adam Peters got a new contract before John Lynch got a new contract this offseason. So that tells you what the 49ers think of Adam Peters. He's the guy that they've been sending to go see Zach Wilson and, you know, some of the other big-time prospects. If he leaves, that is a huge hole for the Niners. Yes,
1: and especially, I mean, we've I kind of made a joke about this, as have others on Twitter. You know, Adam Peters was the guy that was sent to – scout Zach Wilson so if he goes to a new team in a large majority of cases if you're going if you're hiring a new GM that means you're replacing the quarterback well we just sent the guy that scouted Zach Wilson so is he going to sit there with a team that likely has a higher pick than the Niners and go hey we're getting Zach Wilson because I know the Niners are interested like (laughs) that could really backfire on the Niners so there's extra incentive to try to keep them around but I do think Peters is in an interesting situation because a lot of the GM positions, like like the, the one that has been kicked around the most is, is Carolina. And if I'm him, I'm not leaving the Niners unless I get final say in wherever I'm going. You know, that I am the person who gets to make the final decision and I can overrule a head coach. That's what they all seek. That's the battle that we saw between like Harbaugh and Balky. It was who gets final say. So why would he leave the Niners without final say? And I feel like Carolina, he wouldn't get final say because they have a head coach that's already there that's entrenched in, in Matt Rule. So I don't see Carolina as being a logical choice for him. Not that Carolina wouldn't offer it to him, I just don't know why Peters would leave unless he does get Carolina to agree that he gets final say over the head coach. But most GMs want to come into a situation where they get to pick their coach. So the ones where he can't pick his coach don't make sense to me.
0: Yeah, it's a very good point. If he's not going to have total control, why leave a better situation in San Francisco than presumably one you'd be walking into with a new team who would more than likely not have a roster that's as talented. Um, But I know, yeah, Carolina... I feel like they're building things the right way in Carolina, but you're right. There is, it's unsure there what the roles would be. You know, remember that famous Bill Belichick line they want you to cook the meal, they might as well let you shop for some of the groceries. I don't know. Adam Peters wants to be the one that's picking the groceries. So we'll see. It'd be nice if the 49ers wouldn't have to lose potentially their run game coordinator, their pass game coordinator, and they're basically like lead scout slash de facto GM all in one offseason, not to mention the 40 unrestricted free agents the team has. Like, that is a huge amount of turnover potentially in a single offseason.
1: Yeah, and you you didn't even think to mention the one that we know is leaving with almost certainty, which would be the defensive coordinator. Like, it it, it will be interesting because – if they choose not to promote D'Amico Ryans, you could add him. Like I said, if he's not going to be the defensive coordinator, I would see him leaving to join Robert Sala. So the Niners could literally be a team that just went 6-10 and 10 and lose almost every single assistant coach there is on the team. <laughs> That's one, crazy, that a team with a losing record could have that happen. Two... I did want to touch on, you know, losing the two offensive minds. I think that can't be understated because what they did was they kind of scouted the next opponent ahead, kind of came up. They know Kyle's system so incredibly well that they knew this is the things that would work against this opponent coming up. And then Kyle would kind of come in and the three of them would come up with the overall game plan with Kyle obviously coming up with new plays and being the overall architect, finding somebody off the street that is going to know Kyle's system in and out that's capable of doing that to the same skill and expertise that those two have been able to do in the run game and pass game is not going to be something that is immediate, immediately ve- uh, available. There will be a learning curve no matter who is brought in to do that.
0: Yeah, and that's something that Kyle and Akash talked about on yesterday's Shanna Plan is basically like there is a just sort of a comfort and a rhythm that you get into working with people over the years. And Shanahan had that with LaFleur and McDaniels, and they were the ones that were doing the installs during the week, you know, which is huge. And Kyle could, it's, it's a huge burden off your shoulders to delegate something to somebody and know that they're going to handle it the right way. And you can focus on other things. Well, when they have to replace those guys if they have to replace them, you know, then that's a part of Kyle's attention maybe that has to go towards something that he wasn't focusing on as much last year. So that's, you know, like you said, it's going to take time to replace that and replicate that, and I think there there probably will be an effect on the offense if if all those guys have to leave.
1: And I would argue that he likes to bring in somebody that's young who hasn't spent time under other coaches really so I think that they can truly come in and only take Kyle's system you know they're they're not influenced by some other systems and trying to come up with ideas that worked in other systems you know what I mean like if you bring in a a really experienced coach he's going to be coming from other systems and going to be looking at things from a different angle so to speak whereas if you bring in somebody young who hasn't necessarily had those responsibilities anywhere else, they're gonna be a kind of a clean slate. So I'd be interested to see who he would promote. Like would Wes Welker be potentially brought up and become the pass game coordinator? Would he raid other uh coaches who run the system? Would he raid the Rams, try to find somebody that he knows knows the system from the Rams to give them the run game coordinator? Or would he go to somebody in Green Bay? You know what I mean? Like, I'd be really interested to see how he chooses to fill those positions if he has to.
0: Yeah. Well, add it to the list of 10,000 decisions the 49ers are going to have to make this offseason. We keep saying it. Buckle up, man. This offseason is going to be wild it is massively important for the team from just a straight up roster standpoint but also all this stuff we're talking about organizationally with the coaching staff it is going to be incredible i just feel like there is going to be a constant stream of news that's why like i'm not telling people that we're ramping down or anything like that we're going to be here every day every week for you this off season because there is going to be a ton of stuff happening i can't wait to see how it all shakes out and and sort of the path that they choose to go down
1: It is weird because it almost feels like a rebuild, but it's not a rebuild. Like the Niners are going to be keeping all the most important pieces. They will have the head coach. They will have the GM. They have pretty much all the star players that they need. You know, Bosa's not going anywhere. You have Armstead, Warner, you know, you you got your wide receivers figured out with Ayuk and, and Debo. You got pretty much all the star players. We're, it's pretty safe to assume Trent Williams will be back. So there's basically a lot of the filler that's needed, and that goes to the coaching staff too. Obviously, defensive coordinator isn't quite filler, but they're going to probably have to replace a lot of their assistant coaches, which would be kind of like the filler of the coaching staff, similar to the bench players to depth pieces that are going to be needing replaced for the roster itself. So it's kind of a it's a weird situation because they're going to be having so many openings that it does feel like a rebuild. But it's really not because all the people that are really going to be making the difference, the difference makers are going to be staying put. So it's really weird. And I honestly can't think of another team that has had a situation like this in the past.
0: Well, and we'll be here for it all, no matter how it turns out, and probably ranting and raving and giving ourselves coronaries when it all goes down. Something else I wanted to get to you real quick before we take our break. John Lynch was announced as a finalist for the 2021 Hall of Fame class. There's 15 people that got into that club. Unfortunately, Patrick Willis and Bryant Young were not part of the list. It's going to get whittled down to five. Levin, Do you think John Lynch has any chance to become a Hall of Famer this year?
1: No. He's a borderline case, I believe. I would personally probably put him in. But this year has some slam dunk, one and done players like Peyton Manning on it. And that is going to take up the the spots that could have gone to a borderline case. This is not a year where borderline cases get in.
0: Personally, I think Patrick Willis has a stronger case than John Lynch, don't you? I think Patrick Willis should have been
1: a one and done it. It's ridiculous he's not a finalist. I mean, he has, what, uh, I think five first-team All-Pros. Nobody has five first-team All-Pros and is not in the Hall of Fame that's eligible. You know what I mean? Like, that is a slam dunk, that guy is a Hall of Fame thing. And it's ridiculous. And, you know, you, you tweeted it out, so I guess we can bring it up. Like, why is Calvin Johnson a finalist over Patrick Willis? Patrick Willis played... One less year, Patrick Willis played eight years, Calvin Johnson played nine. They're two phenomenal talents, potential to have been all-time greats if they played longer at their positions, but Patrick Willis has more Pro Bowls, more All-Pros, more years leading the league in a key statistic, like he has a slam dunk better case than Calvin Johnson. Why the hell is Calvin Johnson a finalist?
0: Yeah, I don't to make Calvin Johnson a finalist to me is absolutely silly. He has two incredible amazing off the charts years. He only played 9 seasons. I just he just doesn't he didn't do it for long enough for me. I'm sorry. To me, the Hall of Fame is not for guys that have a couple really good years and then the rest sort of mediocre years. If, especially when right. you're only playing 9 years. Like that is not it for me. I'm sorry, Calvin. You you don't make the cut and you definitely shouldn't have made the cut this year. I mean, some of the names on this list, Peyton Manning Calvin Johnson, Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne, Leroy Butler, John Lynch, Rondé Barber, Charles Woodson, Jared Allen, Richard Seymour, Clay Matthews Jr., not the Packers slash Rams linebacker, Sam Mills, Zach Thomas, Alan Fanica, and Tony Baselli.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't need to get in a full-scale Calvin Johnson debate, but there's a couple things. One, I think he has seven years of 1,100 yards, so it's a little – Big deal. Uh, hyperbole to say that he doesn't have
0: – It's easy to get 1,100
1: yards – he has three years of 1,400 yards. There's only like maybe 10 receivers that have more than that, and he only played nine years. Anyways, the thing that I don't see ever brought up by anybody with Calvin Johnson, and it drives me nuts, have you ever looked at his catch percentage? No. That would be the percentage that, of the targets that he ended up catching. It is abysmal. It is 100% clear, and I remember watching those games, and it's one of the reasons why I'm – have not been a huge Stafford guy. It was literally, Calvin, go deep, we'll throw you a jump ball. His career catch percentage is 55%. That is horrendous. That is bench level. Obviously, he was better than that, and some of that is that the basically the Lions were down almost every single game, so it was, okay, let's try to get the deep ball of Calvin. But it also shows that Calvin was limited in a way that people don't like to admit. He could not run short routes. He was tall. He was lanky. He didn't have the twitchiness to run short routes. He was a deep ball only guy. He was probably the best ever at deep ball right there with Randy Moss, I would argue. But he was limited, and his catch percentage shows that. Like, that that's horrendous. Like, somebody like Antonio Brown's like 68%. Jerry Rice, I think, is something like 63%. Like, 55% is abysmal, and its if you look at the numbers of players in the league, it, it's a percentage that a lot of times would be representative of somebody who's a bench player
0: all right let's stop wasting time talking about calvin johnson he doesn't deserve to get in i hope he doesn't get in because to me every time you put a guy like that in it makes it cheapens the hall of fame All right, let's take a break Uh, i want to get into one thing after the break that you and i have talked about is what kind of risks the 49ers are taking on injured players because injuries obviously dominated the season this year kyle shanahan spoke about it this week And I think he's finally starting to come over to our side, but we'll play it for you and let you hear it. Welcome back here to the Gold Standard Podcast. We're going to get into something Kyle Shanahan said this week that seemed to be a direct response to something that Levin and I have criticized him for. But first, in the break, Levin, you actually saw something from Zach Wilson that caught your eye.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's something worth noting, I would think. He was asked on BYU TV, what is a system in the NFL that he feels like he's a fit for, and while he kind of beat around the bush and said, I haven't been able to look into it all all too in-depth, one guy off the top of my head is Kyle Shanahan. And I think that's worth mentioning, that he has identified Kyle Shanahan. That is likely something that, if he hasn't studied it too in-depth, all he knows is he would like to be coached by Kyle Shanahan and go to the Niners.
0: I just want to know the interview with a draft prospect where he says, I wouldn't be a fit for this team or that team like because I'm still waiting. The next one will be the first one. They always say they're a fit. They always want to be coached by everybody. Zach Wilson is not a stupid person. He knows that Kyle Shanahan's really good. He knows the 49ers need a quarterback. To me, this is business as usual move along.
1: Yeah, I would say it's a little bit more than that. It's not somebody asking him, are you a fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense? It's being asked who do you feel like you're a fit? And he came up with Kyle Shanahan on his own. I think that's a key difference, but it's incredibly rare that somebody says they're not a fit, but it has happened. I mean, Eli Manning, John Elway.
0: Well, no, he didn't those, say
1: those,
0: They didn't say those it wasn't fit. a fit for the offense. They just didn't want to play for trash organizations at the time.
1: That's the same thing. Mm. I am not a fit for you. Do not draft
0: me. <laughs> Well, he'd be crazy if he told the 49ers not to draft him. Um, But yeah, I mean, breaking news, top quarterback prospect wants to be coached in the top quarterback system in the NFL.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm not 100% convinced it's the top quarterback system in the entire NFL. I think it's really great, but I think it's really difficult on the quarterback. I think there are highly effective systems like Bruce Arians that are a little bit easier on the quarterback. Kyle Shanahan's system is very demanding in my opinion, on a quarterback. So I, I I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but it's certainly up there.
0: And he is very demanding on a quarterback also, from what I have heard. He doesn't do it in public, but I've heard that behind the scenes, he's, he's very, very tough on his guys. And if it's anything like the guy we see on the sideline, I would say that probably makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's let you hear what Kyle Shanahan said, because you and I have, have claimed that the 49ers take too many risks on guys with injury histories and guys that could potentially get hurt. In the sort of state of the franchise 45-minute press conference that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch gave this week, they were asked a ton about injuries, and they were asked about taking risks on guys with injury histories. Here's what Kyle Shanahan said. Doesn't mean that you never take a risk again. I think that would be an overcorrection. You have to take some risks to get to the top in this league. But we also understand that, you cannot succeed if that number I just gave you guys continues. So um, all that goes into every single decision we'll ever make. And I'd like to say it always has too, but the more situations you go through, the more you realize um, what these decisions are and that risk reward changes a little bit. The number he's referring to is the fact that the 49ers had, I think $85 million worth of salary cap on injured reserve this year, but his part at the end there about how the risk reward changes Do you think that that means that they kind of realize, hey, maybe we can't be as bold with injury risks as we were in the past?
1: I would certainly hope so, because this regime has not paid attention to injury histories at all. And I think they have had to learn their lesson the hard way. You know, this is the argument I would make. Yes, you need to take some risk rewards. You need to get some top level talents on the team regardless of their injury histories my argument would be is they already freaking have all the ones they need (laughs) boza incredible talent high injury risk debo samuel incredible talent high injury risk you know if they re-sign jason verrett you can put him in the same boat jimmy ward would be right in that same boat you you know i you might be getting there we'll see how healthy he is in year two you know raheem mostert is big injury risk Big reward if he's healthy. Like, they have all the star-level players that have high injury risks. What they need is really reliable people. Obviously, injuries happen even to people who have never been injured before. But they need—they don't necessarily need top-level talent. They just need all the reliable players that are going to be on the damn field. That's what they need. They need somebody who's reliable who doesn't get hurt. That's what they need to fill the roster with. They don't need stars. They have all the stars they need. Now, obviously, they need a quarterback, and you might have to take some risk there, but we have seen all they need is an average quarterback-level play, and they can go to a Super Bowl because that's what Jimmy Garoppolo is, basically. So that's all they really need. They don't necessarily need phenomenal quarterback play. Obviously, if they get phenomenal quarterback play, this team becomes a juggernaut, but... They also, it's been proven that if they get a quarterback who can't stay on the field as their starter, their season gets derailed. We just saw that this year. So I think they should pay attention to injuries to a certain degree when it comes to the quarterbacks. But they also, it's a quarterback. You can't, you know, be that picky when it comes to that. Like you can with the other positions where you're not necessarily going out and finding starters, you're getting your depth pieces. And if you want, what you want in your depth pieces is reliability.
0: Speaking of the quarterback, it was a quarterback-related tweet that sort of kicked off a 49ers Twitter civil war this week. Kyle Posey, (laughs) our own Kyle Posey, tweeted after Jimmy Garoppolo spoke in that sort of of state-of-the-franchise media session we talked about, quote, what the media won't tweet out about Jimmy is that Mayoko asked him if Lynch or Kyle reassured him that he'd be back next year, and he Euro-stepped around that question. Now, let me just say, He absolutely did Euro step around that question. He never answered it directly. And it was, I think, an interesting point by Kyle because Kyle Juszczyk came right out and said like, hey, they've told me they want me back. And Jimmy Garoppolo was asked the exact same thing and did not say that answer, which only means one thing, Levin. Yeah, that they are not
1: 100% committed to Jimmy. He is their fallback plan, like I've been saying. Now, as far as what Kyle said and... The reaction it got, you know, the people who were reacting to it saying that wasn't called for, tough because guess what? It was called for because I think there has been a change. And I have the utmost respect for the beat writers. It's a job I used to do to a lesser degree on smaller beats that were nowhere near as demanding as the NFL. But I at least have some idea of what it takes. And it is a 24-7 job. So I have a lot of respect for them. but I feel like there has been a slight change and I'm not even 100% sure they fully realize what's happened because I think it's it has to do with this regime what it was prior to this regime was they could write what they wanted pick up any quote they wanted and run with it because there was always going to be some anonymous source willing to talk from the team they could get a source to write their article with there wasn't a tight-lipped regime now they've gone to literally the polar opposite end This regime is as tight-lipped and has as little of a leak as I've ever seen of any regime in the NFL. So there's now, you've gone from feasting to starvation. What that does, in my opinion, this regime can control things because they know there won't be leaks. That if you pick up the negative things and run with them, the only way you ever get an exclusive with this regime is to get an interview request granted by them. Because there won't be leaks. You won't be able to get an exclusive through an anonymous source. So you are 100% relying on the team being willing to grant you a one-on-one interview with somebody to get an exclusive piece or or article or whatever you're looking for. And I think that's created a kind of understated but very real sense of don't run and put a neon light on things that are a little bit negative that we could run with and sensationalize. And we might've in the past, but with this regime, we can't because then we won't get any exclusive interviews one-on-one. If, if that makes sense. Like I feel like that's what's happened. And because that, that Jimmy quote is something that would have been immediately tweeted about and immediately written about in the past. If that was said about like Colin Kaepernick back in 2013 or 14, that would have been big news. But you can literally go back and look at the Twitter histories, and they're literally live tweeting Jimmy's responses to every question, and then suddenly there's nothing about that question. That shows the bias. Like, that confirms the bias that Kyle was kind of tweeting about. Like, there's no denying it. And guess what? After he tweeted that, there were multiple sources out there that all of a sudden, an hour or two later, wrote an article about what Jimmy said.
0: Yeah, and so there was a 49ers beat writer that responded to Kyle's tweet that called him a blogger, and all they only aggregate the reporting that I do, which of course is all bullshit. Kyle's in the exact same room that all the other 49ers reporters are in. He's in the press conferences. He's asking questions. There's no calling somebody a blogger in 2021 is it's asinine. This isn't 1992 anymore. Everybody writes for a website, so there's no like. It was just, it was ridiculous. And it started a whole back and forth. And then Tim Kawakami had to throw his two cents in there, which nobody really needed. Thanks very much, Tim. And it-, yeah, it
1: cracks me up. The Athletic is literally 100% only a website. Like, I was one of the first subscribers to The Athletic. The moment I heard that Matt Barrows was going there, that's when I subscribed. I will be dropping that subscription over what TK did because he literally railed on this for like the next five hours and it pissed me off his sitting on a high horse the fact that he's the editor of all this bay area stuff you know screw it i'm out like i don't need the athletic i did it i subscribed because i believed in what they were trying to do create a real sports page again but i'm not supporting somebody that's employing that
0: (laughs) wow okay (laughs) So I guess Tim won't be joining us on episode 23 of the Gold Standard Podcast.
1: Well, I mean, I've already tweeted something that pretty much cemented that. So, And you're aware of that tweet. It it is what it is. Like, I have the utmost respect for the beat writers. I feel like there is a small bias that has creeped in there that I'm not 100% sure that they even quite realize has happened. Kind of one of those understated things that just kind of everybody got into without realizing exactly what it meant. But the things that TK was tweeting were a line in the sand for me.
0: You know, it's it goes back to the whole access. You know, you want access, but you want to also be honest. And there's a fine line there that you have to walk. But this is something that Mike Florio taught me for years at NBC. There's not a lot of reporting that goes on from any beat writers, not just the 49ers, anyone that covers the NFL. There is not a ton of reporting that goes on that the league itself would not be happy about having got out there. And what I mean by that is most of the stuff that these guys tweet and put out there is stuff that the team is going to release itself 10 minutes later. So-and-so is going to get cut. So-and-so is getting traded. So-and-so is hurt. Whatever the case may be, it's not like these guys are turning over every rock and finding out these huge stories that the league or the teams wouldn't have out there. It's a lot different than it was back in the day when the beat writers were the primary source of information about a team. The press conferences are on the websites now. They stream it live. It's a zillion places. All the players themselves have social media accounts, so you can go directly to them and see things directly from them, what they say and stuff like that. It's a different world than it was back then. So the the beat writer has taken on a different job, I think, than it used to be.
1: Well, part of that is because the money has become a problem in the sports scene so the beat writer has to wear hats that they didn't necessarily wear in the past like in the past your your beat writer was basically somebody that is just putting everything out there factually no bias or as little bias as possible you know because people are human but literally just here are the facts this is what was said this is what happened with nothing else and then you had other people that were your enterprise people they were chasing down leads, they were investigating things, they were going more in depth on one specific focus. And you could have somebody that was a fluffer, you know, you you might have somebody who was an enterprise story, but they're always writing positive things. So they get some exclusives that others might. And then you have the people who are going to call out things and be more negative, like your columnists, like what Grant Cohen is still doing, like Grant Cohn might struggle to get an exclusive because he pisses off the team because he's willing to write negative things. He's willing to kind of keep it real to a certain extent. So I think in the past you would have three or four different people. So your beat writer could just concentrate on the facts. Now you don't have as many of those enterprise people because the money is not there. They've taken away those jobs and your beat writer might have to write something a little more in depth that he needs exclusive stuff for.
0: It's, yeah, it's a different world. People have to balance what they want to try and get out of things. Is it worth writing this piece that might criticize somebody if it means you're not going to get the interview for a while or the exclusive for a while, or whatever, or called on in the press conferences either, too? I mean, that's that's a thing that teams can do, too, to sort of punish people without ever actually having to say that they're punishing them. So, It just turned into a whole thing. Kyle is over it. Uh, Chris Biederman was the guy that sort of got into it. I'm sure he's over it too. I think he's even going to come on the podcast next week. So that'll be a little bit of a fun thing. It wasn't like a huge, you know, all out war. It was just something that we saw that that kind of galvanized the Niners Nation podcast team. So just we got your back, Kyle. Don't worry about that.
1: So is Kyle like Captain America and Biederman is Iron Man or... or did you Are, see that tweet? We, that that should be the next, that's what they should do together. Like sit down and create their roster. Who, who's Iron Man? Who's Spider Man? Who's you know all these other heroes? That's that that would be a good podcast. Someone did make
0: it happen about that. And Biederman was Iron Man, <laughs> and KP and <laughs> KP had him and his Avengers at his side. There, you know, the internet is undefeated as always. But anyway, that's going to do it for this edition of the Gold Standard podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We will be here with you all off season. It is going to be crazy. It is going to be fun, I think, for the most part. So don't worry about that. There'll be plenty of great content. Enjoy your week, everybody, and we'll talk to you later.